there's no doubt that the old politics of the two-party system is now gone and over. I don't need lectures from you or anybody on, on the Sinn Féin side of the house. We're very reluctant to kind of say what's red lines, but, but we do have to take climate seriously. There's going to be constant criticism, there's going to be a lot of disappointment, and whoever goes into government is going to be unpopular. Okay. Hello, welcome again to Your Politics. Um, I'm Anya Lawler. I'm here in Leinster House with Paul Cunningham, Sinead Spain and Tommy Meskell from our political team. And we're going to shoot the breeze about all things political in the past week. Um, Paul, I suppose it's been a week that's been defined by those awful events on Sandwith Street when you had pro and anti-immigration protesters it ended up with the migrants who'd set up a makeshift tent camp there because there's literally nowhere else to go and there's about 500 odd on the streets at the moment uh, so there were those tent scenes Gardaí involved and then the migrants tents were were burnt out I think it is that image of the tents in flame which has just brought this whole debate to a new level we must be clear, there wasn't anyone in the tents at the time, but nonetheless, it was the image, the burning of those tents, the disregard which was being shown to those people, to their possessions, that gave, I think, people a moment of pause. And yet, the relentless nature of this crisis, because that is exactly what it is, um, things move on. We've got, as you said, um, numbers, it's a moving target, bouncing up and down, 481 day, 520 the next, back down to 487, back up to 502. But what we have is an awful lot of people living on the streets and these are deemed by the cabinets to be people who are highly vulnerable because of who they are and the fact that they are just living out in the open. And it's caused a political stir. It's raised questions about the capacity of the government to deal with this crisis. It's led to questions about the cohesiveness within the cabinet itself and also raises questions about are we ever going to be able to get beyond this? I took my cue from what Rodrigo Gorman was saying. That's the integration minister who did a press conference yesterday. And effectively, he didn't have any line in the sand. There wasn't a date by which he was saying, we're going to get on top of this. And by, for example, the end of June, people are going to be in accommodation. It was more of, we're doing our best. It's an emergency situation. Every department needs to play its part. And that was it. So it would seem to me that even though those dramatic pictures were so shocking that we are going to have asylum seekers on the streets um, of Dublin and other cities and this crisis rolling into the week and the next month. And you mentioned Minister Roderick O'Gorman talking about this yesterday. And of course, the, there were the reports about, you know, disagreements at Cabinet. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But the Taoiseach Sinead was talking about all of this as well today at a news conference the government held. He was. And this was a very carefully choreographed event and it looked like a very um, distinct uh, idea to change the narrative into move it into a positive space. So it was the Taoiseach announcing a 50 million euro fund for communities all across the country to invest in sports facilities. But it's hinged on your support for Ukrainians or for asylum seekers, for people from other countries coming to your community. And it's based on how many people come to your community and the services that you provide for them. So very much an effort to shift the emphasis and even looking at who was at it, it was different members of the cabinet. We had Heather Humphreys, um, who's obviously a Fianna Gael minister. We had Joe O'Brien, a Green junior minister. We had Stephen Donnelly, a Fianna Fáil minister and the Taoiseach. So it was hands across the cabinet table 
at this event, which was on Sean McDermott Street in Dublin's inner city. And they were one of the communities that had benefited from the fund. Now, at it, the Taoiseach was asked, what is he going to do about Clare? What is the the next move? Because there does appear to be something. This is Magana, where this you have is the blockade House, where that's we been have run the by blockade that's been yeah. run for the last three days, and there's something of a stalemate because there was an effort to have discussions between politicians based in Clare and the locals who are blockading Magana House. Um, that has come to nothing, and we're at something of a stalemate. So the Taoiseach was asked, "What is the next?" thing to happen. He said there will be engagement, but he was coy about what that might be. Oh, well, there, there has been some engagement already involving uh, ministers and public reps and uh, there will be further engagement. I, I don't want to get into the detail of that at the moment, um, but there will be further uh, engagement with uh, the local community there. I think it is important that uh, people's uh, concerns are listened to, uh, that they're provided with information, that communication takes place, but also it's very important to be clear uh, as a government, um, no community, nobody has a veto on who should or should not live in your area and we can't, we can't allow that. Oh, well, that's actually really interesting, Sinead, because that's become a big point this week, whether it's in terms of the new centres that are going to be opening in Dublin. And we saw a statement from a residents association about a meeting that had taken place in relation to that or whether it's in relation to Clare, because the residents there had been saying they wanted Minister O'Gorman to come down and see what they see is the proof in front of your own eyes that this is not a suitable location and that the res- the people being moved in there should be in an urban location. So that's an interesting political debate that's emerging, isn't it? It is. And this mantra at this stage, you know, that no community has a veto in terms of who lives there. And that's what the government has been saying, because they have a massive problem on their hands. If they relent in Clare, they will have to relent in other areas. And they have a huge problem. They have 500 asylum seekers sleeping on the streets, sleeping in tents in all sorts of horrendous conditions. And they have communities who are afraid and who are opposed and who are worried about an influx of asylum seekers. And they have to try and bridge that gap find accommodation where they can find it and smooth over those local fears. So if they give in in one community, they'll have to give in in others or they may have to give in in others. Taoiseach very quick today to praise the four TDs in Dunleary to say we are going to place some asylum seekers in Dunleary and the four TDs there all spoke to Paul last night and uh, said that they will support whatever efforts are being put in place there. And he was very quick to praise those four TDs because I think he's also putting it out there that there are other areas of the city and of the country where where TDs do oppose um, housing developments where asylum seekers will be placed. But even, and it was interesting actually, Desi Ellis, Tommy, was on Morning Ireland this morning um, talking again about the, the one of the proposed new centres that's going to be opening in Airfield. But of course, his office has Airways. been... Tar- Air- Airways. Airways. Yeah. Yes. And his office has been targeted in the past, I think it was back in January, uh, by far right protesters who were upset with Sinn Féin for, you know, supporting uh, the position. And it's under international human rights law. We are obliged to to open our doors and provide asylum. And we are, after all, one of the richest nations in the world. And there has already been a court case in relation to all of this. So it doesn't politically give politicians much room to manoeuvre, even if they're nervous about upsetting local communities. And interestingly, uh, some would say that actually 
uh, Sinn Féin is perhaps targeted more than other opposition parties uh, as some of these anti-migrant um, uh, demonstrations uh, would try and create the impression that perhaps they're the real nationalists and that Sinn Féin isn't nationalist enough. Yeah, and you see this. a lot of the, the Irish flag at exactly. these protests and yeah. these right-wing protesters, yes. But Desi Ellis this morning coming out clearly in support of, of those asylum centres, uh, you also had the likes of, of Paul Murphy uh, from People Before Profit who was actually saying that that's, he feels that some some of the opposition parties are, are, are more perhaps helpful in terms of um, the creation of these asylum centres in different locations. And he was critical of backbenchers on the government side, saying that perhaps they're, they're not critical of no, enough of, of anti-migrant demonstrations. And then Leo Varadkar, the Taoiseach as well this morning, praising the opposition actually uh, for what he said was, was their, their helpful nature and all of this and, and welcoming um, new people into diff their different communities. And the difficulty, of course, and I know there's been a big fall off in the numbers since the start of the year, but as again, you were telling us this morning, Paul, on the radio, 180 people arriving this week. Now, and, and against the background of all of that, this is a complex issue. There are no, you know, magic wand solutions out there. On the other hand, we have an obligation to provide shelter. And then reports of divisions at Cabinet this week. Was it a row? Was it not a row? How divided? Yeah, that stemmed from the Green Party Senator Oshin Garvey suggesting that Roger O'Gorman was being pushed under the bus and that was picked up very quickly by Holly Kearns suggesting that there was a war in Cabinet. Um, from my sense, talking to people who were at the Cabinet meeting, um, there have been more robust exchanges on other occasions than there was at this, that it wasn't something that they recognised as being a, a problem. But nonetheless, at the same time, this whole crisis is going to put the government under strain because they don't see an end to it. They don't see uh, a time or a moment when there's a magic wand and they can get through it. So I think it will continue to be a pressure. Opposition parties saying they believe the Department of Housing, which has the expertise, should be offering more assistance to um, Roger Gorman and the Department of Integration. He say he is getting necessary report from his ministerial colleagues, but at the same time, everyone needs to do more. And this looks as if it's going to be one of those grinding affairs week after week. Mm -hmm. But I think it comes back to the same thing is as you mentioned, 503 asylum seekers from another country um, uh, saying that they're fleeing war and we're not able to put a roof over their heads. They're lying on the streets. And if something goes wrong, if something goes catastrophically wrong, there really will be hell to pay. Yeah, and of course, the fear, I think, and, and a lot of politicians in Leinster House have been talking about it, haven't they? The fear is of one of these incidents, if somebody is hurt and yes. if something, you know, the reaction to all of that. But just in terms of the coherence in government... How coherent has the response been? We keep we keep hearing about an all of government approach, but, you know, again, modular. Well, you know, we, we thought January. Now it's June. There's an issue with sites. Apparently now there's an issue between modular and pods. There was talk of cruise ships at one stage. No, that was off the agenda. Barges were mentioned briefly for this Flotels, week for about ten, yes. 24 hours. That was gone. There have been questions and constant questions about contracts, delayed payments with the hotels. So they're in and they're out. I mean, the government says, if you look at it, if you go back to the beginning of last year. You'd go, so where's the whole of government approach? Well, That's the question. <laughs> well, they say, if you go back to the beginning of last year, you had 8,400 people who were sort of, you know, asylum seekers. Now we're dealing with upwards of 100,000. So the scale is... Yeah out of the world, out of this world. And on that basis, they are in a crisis. Therefore, they're in crisis mode, which is dealing with today. And you don't have the capacity to be doing your medium to long term. 
effect. You will hear people from Migrants' Rights Association saying we need to have a mid-term, mid to medium-term plan. And there this was the Catherine change. Day report. And in fact, the Greens came into government, didn't they? And it was part of the programme for government was they were going to change direct provision and all of this was going to be different. And the person who was due to do it was Rodrigo Gorman and it was transferred to his department under the new government. And yet, guess what? Because of the war in Ukraine, because of the Russian invasion and the influx of Ukrainians to this comedy country, what have we got? They've never been able to get there. Yeah. So we're a long day from long way from own door accommodation. Do you remember that was going to be the way to go? And we're yeah. now uh, looking at industrial estates. But I think the one thing we have seen the last couple of days is that there are blockages in the system. And this is the, the key to delivery is to how do we get beyond those blockages? Roderick O'Gorman yesterday at that press conference, which appeared to be set up to smooth over these reports of a rift at the cabinet table. You know, he kept saying all ministers are under pressure. We're all under pressure. We all have things to do. Everyone has a responsibility in this area. But he did say my department, which is the Department of Integration, we can identify buildings, but we can do no more. We can't refurbish them. That's not our job. That's the Department of Housing. And they get the local authorities to do that. So there's two Three mm-hmm. steps and it's integrating those processes and they're yeah. the blockages and they are the bits that need to be joined up. The other big talking point, um, and again, arising from very disturbing images uh, that many people will unfortunately have seen on social media of an attack on a young teenager in Navan. Um, and obviously Gardia are investigating and all of that, but the the fact of this, the the fact that it was so widely seen on social media, where attitudes and violence like this come from, I mean, that, that is a question that politicians have been grappling with, haven't they, Tommy? Yeah, this was roundly condemned today uh, in the Dáil during leaders' questions, uh, this video of, of a 14-year-old boy uh, being attacked. Uh, and I suppose you have that incident in itself uh, and that it happened and that it was wrong. But then you also have the fact that it was uploaded onto social media uh, and has been seen widely and remains on social media. And I think the question from Sinn Féin today to to the Tánaiste was what can be done about this? We need to, they felt they said, to, to get these images um off social media. Because Gardaí have made it very clear they don't want people looking at these images. They don't want this being shared. Because at the centre of us you have a 14-year-old boy uh, and Sinn Féin making the point that there needs to be stronger teeth perhaps in this area so that social media would be obliged to take down this material. You have legislation in the works to create this uh, online safety commissioner. It's not up and running yet, uh, but the Tónaiste are also making the point that perhaps you don't necessarily need legislation. He was giving that clear message today uh, from the House that he wanted to see this material taken down. Uh, I don't know if, if that's going to happen anytime soon. Yeah, you really have a sense, don't you, of the technology running ahead of, 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 of the regulation. Wasn't Barry Andrews talking about that recently, even in the context of the EU's efforts to legislate on AI and chat GPT and all of that, that the technology is changing much faster. And than just come back laws. to a political question. If there are so many um, of these technology companies anchored here and based here and we are looking at the European Union as being a global leader in this, um, what additional role can Ireland play in it? Taoiseach saying this material should be taken down. The question is, but what power does he or any institution or organisation under his remit have? And the answer at this time is um, not very much. One other issue I want to talk to you about, Paul, and of course everyone will know uh, about your, well, many people will know 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, we don't want to appear to. Yeah, yeah. But actually, lo- people do know about your work as an environmental journalist, mm-hmm. uh, which you worked on for many years. And what's the story with our emissions? Well, first thing is the reason why we're looking again at our emissions related to a, um, a World Meteorological Organization, WMO, which is a UN body, but it's got sort of members around the world issuing a new report, another terrifying report saying that the years 23 to 27 were going to be the hottest uh, since instrumentation started to record. So that's the backdrop to say yet another example of how climate action and um, destructive climate action is going to wreak havoc with us. And they're saying this summer, in such as the computers they're using at the moment be able to predict, they're saying this summer we're going to see every signs of it. So that automatically brings it back to, so how is Ireland doing? According to the government, they've got a climate action plan. But what you continually hear from ministers um, is that when it comes to the target to reduce emissions by 51% by the year 2030, that um, the emissions are backloaded. So the heavy reductions are going to happen later on in the decade. So we have all these plans and we've been passing all these laws, but in terms of actually cutting those emissions, that's not quite happening yet. Not quite happening yet. But the answer, the answer, they say, is that's all going to happen. It was never going to be linear, like, you know, 4%, 4, 4, 4. It was going to be far more, a little bit in the first few years. And then when all of this sort of apparatus and statecraft was in place, then it would drop um, significantly. But to my mind, um, and I was environment correspondent for 10 years, um, the 51% target was always highly ambitious. And as each year rolls on since the CAP was first announced, and it means that the inaction means even higher emissions have to be reduced year on year. And, year. and to my prof- uh, sort of professional or, or personal analysis, I don't think it's going to be achieved. And mm-hmm. I'm concerned that it could be significantly um, undershot at this point. And that was kind of borne out, wasn't it, by those Eurostat figures this week on how emissions had been dealt with uh, throughout the European Union. And of course, the European Union uh, had made a big commitment because of the war in Ukraine. It was going to cut particularly gas usage. And that has actually helped bring down emissions right across Europe. Uh, We were uh, exempted from that. Our emissions uh, haven't fallen. In fact, they've gone up. Isn't that right? And uh, I mean, the government here was saying it's because of our, our economic development. But Eurostat came back and said, actually, it's it's because of flying. Yes. We, we love our holidays. And yes. We have a lot of uh, airlines. Also, is it because we've yeah. got an awful lot of leasing in the country. Yeah. So it isn't just that Paddy's like to go over to Spain. It's also that the manner in which the yeah. um, aviation economy is constructed here. And if you're anchored here, well, then the emissions yeah. are going to be counted here. I mean, the government will point to the fact that one of the greatest developments um, that they're responsible for was beginning to get that offshore wind off the ground. The first auction announced by Airgrid, this is substantial stuff. And they'll say, look, once we get that um, in play, then that would be the big leap. That will be, be the, the type of big leap yeah. which will happen at the end of the decade. But if you look at transport, if you're looking at insulating houses, if you're looking at building regs, I just don't see it happening fast enough. But even the small things are hard on this. And that's the difficulty with it. You know, mm. for instance, mm. car parking, car parking mm. for public servants, um, there's massive opposition to a plan to tax car parking for public servants. And it's possible to bring that in right away. All it needs is a ministerial signature. And there is opposition to that. Paper cups, you know, the Minister for the Environment, uh, Eamon Ryan announced this week. Hide this hide your, I know, just looking at your paper cup there and your stick in it. That's that's double the points. <laughs> but he announced that he wanted to get rid of um, cutlery, plastic cutlery, um, non-recyclable cutlery. And again, people hugely, massively opposed to it. And 
everyone thinks that this is somebody else's problem. There is a massive disconnect there, I think, between people's what people want something to happen. It's a bit like motherhood and apple pie. People want something to happen in terms of climate change and so on. But everybody feels that somebody else ought to do something. But isn't that where like President of Ireland, Michael D. Higgins, comes in, where he's talking about a reimagining of the entire economic model, that if you want to achieve these goals, the idea that we pursue our um, economic model um, and just tweak it a little bit to take account of climate change, that's not going to work. And now you got canned over it. But um, if you look at it, and mm-hmm. let's use this 10-year template. If we reach 2030 and we absolutely fail with our targets, then there does have to be something more radical. Some will say that's too late. And I can understand why they say it. But if failure comes upon failure comes upon failure, then at some point you have to say we need to do something differently. Mm-hmm. We'll leave that one for another day, I think. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about um, Micheál Martin, the Tánaiste and Defence Minister, Tommy. He's been talking about, there have been statements on this upcoming um, consultative forum on defence and he's been talking about the triple lock in particular. Tell us what the triple lock is to begin with. Uh, the triple lock uh, requires us uh, to receive the approval of the cabinet, of the Dáil and of the UN Security Council in order uh, for Ireland to send troops on peace missions. And I suppose the criticism is when you have the likes of Russia on the Security Council, is it really appropriate in this day and age that we have the triple lock in place or does it require change? And today, as you said there in the Dáil, we're hearing statements on this ahead of this forum, which will get up and running, which will ask those questions. And Micheál Martin uh, kind of opened that up today uh, and he questioned the triple lock and whether it was um, an appropriate thing to have in this day and age because I suppose the security environment has changed some would say now these uh, three meetings will happen in June they'll happen in in Dublin Cork and Galway I believe the criticism from the opposition in relation to all of this is that this is sort of the start of a slow creep towards ending Ireland's neutrality and there will be some opposition parties that will be People before profit in particular are exercised about this aren't they? In fact they would say that these forums are not the appropriate setting at all and that actually if you're going to discuss something like this it should be a citizens assembly and then perhaps there should be a a referendum Uh, so they're they're not keen on, on these three forums at all. I mean, one of the things that's sort of from people before profit, if it did go to a referendum, you have a binary yes or no from the what Michael Martin was saying in the Doyle today. That's the last thing you want. It can't be yes or no. This is a more complicated system. And so you have to take decisions on different issues at different times. So you can see there's a clear divide on that. I mean, one thing was interesting. Some of the Sinn Féin TDs were talking about how Ireland's position of, in, of neutrality is recognised and, and beloved around the world. Not so. As a former Europe correspondent, it was often ridiculed when I was in Brussels from people saying, you know, you take the Mm -hmm. protection, but you're not prepared to pay the price. So, I mean, I think it's going to be a really spicy affair and really interesting. And it does give us an opportunity to come back and say, well, what is our policy? Why is that policy? And just saying something was in place for decades doesn't necessarily mean that it's right. was a report this week that in Europe they're bewildered by our policy, particularly given the war in Ukraine, that we're quite happy to look to the RAF for cover, yeah. for air cover and so on. We f- see it as somebody else's problem to police our own skies and they are bewildered was the word I saw used. But, and, and equally, opinion polls show that th- 
the principle of neutrality, whatever its origins, whatever its history, whatever it actually means, is something that Irish people uh, are very attached to. And there's been a change to it. I bring in in a sec time. Just wanted to talk to Sinead about this. The shift, and we spoke about it briefly on the week in politics last week, and we'll have Matt Carthy this Sunday, so we're hoping to talk about it more. But there's been a shift too in Sinn Féin's position on PESCO and defence cooperation. They're now saying it's better to be at the table, to be against a militarised Europe, isn't that right? There has been a shift in their policy and what they have are saying is that their policy is evolving as they go on and this is seen as a clear shift in Sinn Féin preparing itself for government and getting rid of parts of their policy that maybe aren't as palatable with the general public but also things that will make them um, more, just their readiness for government I suppose and PESCO would be one of those things. Tommy. There's also the suggestion that this could also lead Ireland to joining NATO. Now, the government have, have ruled this out. Leo Varadkar has said that will not happen. Uh, but I was struck actually by comments from uh, Deputy Cahill Berry, the Independent. He's a former member of the, the Defence Forces. And he said the notion that that could happen is actually it's a, it's a non-starter, that actually our, our Defence Forces would not be equipped and that NATO probably wouldn't even want us uh, mm-hmm. to be a member of the club. So that's, I suppose, another issue that will also have to be looked at, uh, the resourcing of our own Defence Forces. I think that does I mean, like, to flip it, I was talking about how to discuss these ideas. But I think, you know, for, for people like PAN or the Peace Neutrality Alliance, they will always say that once you go down the road of militarization, you end up spending far more money on this kit. And then we we started off our discussions, which was needing to help people in dire circumstances. Shouldn't the resources be better placed dealing with the weakest in society? And shouldn't we have enough aircraft to be able to airlift our own people instead of relying on the kindness of allies? As shouldn't we, saw we be in able Kabul to and monitor our own airspace? Yeah. Shouldn't you know? So there, it's it, a great, it's a great yes, conversation. Th- these com- actually th- these conversations, and I know that there is the view they should be citizens' assemblies, and it's only the start uh, of what I suspect will be a very long-running debate. Speaking of long-running questions, uh, it's election time in Northern Ireland today. The local yes. elections taking place uh, there today. A lot of people. People will be uh, reading the outcome. But uh, I was struck by what Freya McClements said this morning. Much ado about very little. Is that what (laughs) it could end up being? Well, I think it's always interesting to view Northern Ireland um, elections if you happen to be a political wonk like I am. And in this current climate, it's fascinating for Geoffrey Donaldson. Here was the man who took over the leadership when there were questions over um, the ability of the DUP to remain, uh, retain its supremacy. He steadied the ship. He found an issue, the possibility of the union being weakened by um, trade issues and connected with Brexit. And they've come back. So this is another big test for Geoffrey Donaldson. Is he able to maintain the DUP's number one position, local government, if he loses out to Sinn Féin by how much? And I think it'll be fascinating to see what does he say after that? Is it the case, as some would suggest, that a strong position for the DUP means they will feel emboldened and able to deal with the technical issues around Brexit and maybe we will see the institutions um, up and coming? Mm-hmm. Or is it the opposite, that he will say that the party has done well and solidified around this issue and we should power ahead with it and the institution, institutions remain mothballed? And I don't think we know enough to decide which way it's going to be. And that's what makes that election really interesting. And it's been interesting as well, hasn't it, Tommy, since President Biden's <coughs> uh, visit to Ireland. And it had been hoped that Stormont would be back up and running power sharing there uh, in time for that visit. It wasn't. But nonetheless, both governments, they very much been kind of 
giving the DUP space as this election campaign has been ongoing in Northern Ireland. But I suppose the question is how long more they'll be patient. Yeah, too much space, perhaps some would say, and the idea that it has been allowed run beyond the, the local elections hasn't been satisfactory. So certainly the likes of Sinn Féin uh, will be deeply critical uh, of that. Uh, and even a question as to whether even after these elections uh, will we see any progress on that front. Uh, it's, it's actually quite hard to know. And Sinead, I know in the morning there'll be a lot of, you know, when the votes are counted, um, there'll be a lot of who was the largest party. That's going to be the big thing. Who comes out on top? The DUP even making a pitch in the last few days for unionist uni, unity behind them to stop Sinn Féin uh, being the largest party, basically. Uh, But there was an interesting point when we were doing the Good Friday podcast that Mike Nesbitt, to the best of my recollection, made that no community has an overall majority now, that in fact the pattern of northern elections recently has been 40, 40, 20, which means whatever anyone thinks, that spells compromise right there, doesn't it? And do you have the institutions that can reflect that? Yeah, I think he was making the point that you have the the likes of the UUP and the SDLP who were, I suppose, the main architects of the Good Friday Agreement 25 years ago. And they've been overtaken by Sinn Féin and the DUP and more. They're very much marginalised parties now. Um, it'll be interesting SDLP. to see how they do. So tomorrow, it'll be interesting yeah. to see how they do. And the more polarised it becomes, people move to those parties that they might feel are a bit yeah. more extreme or that. Um, but also up the middle then is the likes of the alliance. So that's really what you're looking at. People either move out to the, the yeah. fringes um, and there is that alliance kind of running up the middle. And it's, I guess... While things have changed in 25 years, a lot of things have stayed the same. And that's the point that Mike Nesbitt was making. Um, Stephen Donnelly, by the way, who knew? (laughs) Tell us about this. uh, Speaking, yes, tell us about the the footage we've seen of the minister today. Stephen Donnelly had, I suppose, what we might call a crouching tiger hidden dragon moment today (laughs) at uh, that media event I was talking about earlier. I hadn't heard this. I think that's the gold star of the podcast. Absolutely, yeah. Um, Well, it was before the Taoiseach arrived and they were taking photographs and so on. And he was, there was a couple of young children who were policy papers <laughs> <laughs> Okay set the scene Sinead. So we I set the scene we're in Our Lady of Lourdes Community Centre on Sean McDermott Street there's loads of lovely kids around for this big event the Taoiseach is due to arrive photographers are setting up a few nice pictures we have Stephen Donnelly the health minister and they put him beside these two young Joe children Joe O'Brien was there as well don't forget Joe O'Brien Well yeah. he was put beside these two young children who were going to do a taekwondo display Joe uh-huh. O'Brien now, was then Stephen is Can you he see told us in going? the studio <laughs> <laughs> he is a martial arts expert. Yeah, go on. Yes, yeah, so I think Joe O'Brien and Heather Humphreys were moved in thinking it was going to be. Oh, I didn't see Heather show. in the footage. Well, Heather scarpered <laughs> <laughs> quickly enough when she realised Stephen Donnelly started to show the young girls some of his moves. Wow. Um, and they duly followed. And that, uh, that was when Heather bowed out and also Joe O'Brien quietly. Poor Joe, like off. Stephen Donnelly was there and he had his, you know, his hands were in the fists and the moves were sharp. He was doing it That's all. That's looking more like John Travolta now, girl. aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> well, it did look a bit. And, and poor Joe O'Brien was kind of <laughs> We didn't get an opportunity to ask the health minister whether that's the first time in his political career that he's had to use his taekwondo moves or not. <laughs> he even did the little bow at the end. He did. The proper little bow. <laughs> Damien and Duff, all the rest of us all over again. Great. Well, we're going to do a little bow and say goodbye to you all for now. And we'll talk to you again next Thursday.